We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 40 this morning, so you may want to turn there in your Bible, Mark chapter 1. So I want to begin with a question, how valuable are things when they become lost? How valuable are things that become lost? I have a wedding ring here. Now, if I lost this wedding ring, how valuable would it be to get it back? I tell people in premarital counseling that I paid $59.95 for it back in the day. So how valuable is it today? Priceless. That's an excellent answer. It really depends on the owner. The owner really gets to place the value on something that's lost. Uh, That's usually the case. Have you ever lost a dog? Have you ever seen a lost dog poster or lost dog sign? My dogs used to run away from me. Um, I never, never thought about the lost dog sign. But I read about a lost dog poster this last week. Really, uh, actually, I, I first heard it a few years back. And you maybe have heard this one, too. Um, there's a cash reward for whoever finds my dog. He's only got three legs. He's blind in the left eye. He's missing his right ear. His tail has been broken off. He was neutered accidentally by a fence. He's almost deaf, and he answers to the name Lucky. But Lucky hasn't been so lucky. He's pretty banged up. He's been through stress and pain and loss, and he's made some poor choices along the way. The good news is Lucky has an owner who loves him and wants him back. You know, that's really a good picture of redemption. And I can say I feel lucky and I really know it's grace. That I've made some uh, bad choices. I've been banged up along the way. I've been through some stress and pain and loss. And the amazing thing is God loves us and he wants us back. And he was willing to pay the ransom uh, to get us back. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. And that's good news. And it's because you matter to God. People matter to God. And that's what our uh, passage is about this morning. is about how much people matter to God. So I want to encourage you to look at your outlines. You can follow along. Now, some of you may feel tricked a little bit because some of you have half of the outline and a blank page on the back. Some of you have the first half. Some of you have the second half. Some of you have the whole thing. So uh, it'll be a real good opportunity to focus on the outline this morning. First of all, the good news brings compassion for people. And we see that in verses 40 through 45. The good news, remember that Jesus brought good news. In fact, Jesus' life was good news. He lived out the good news. He showed us how to be good news. And he, uh, he preached the good news. And the good news brings compassion. And Jesus is just unfolding his whole plan. Uh, first, compassion for a social and religious outcast in verses 40 through 42. And we have uh, the request. The context here is Jesus has been traveling throughout Galilee. That's northern Israel. He's been teaching in the synagogues. That's kind of how he his modus operandi. It's where he starts. 
and he's been proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. Request, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, you've, you've probably heard so many stories and read so many stories about Jesus. It's no big deal. It's just one more encounter. But this is an amazing event in the life of Jesus. Lepre, leprosy was the most dreaded disease uh, of Bible times. It could be totally debilitating, like Hansen's disease that, that wasn't identified until 1873 as uh, what we commonly think of leprosy today. But the concept in the Bible uh, was a much broader concept than Hansen's disease or what we call leprosy today. In the Bible, it referred to a number of skin infections or diseases. It also referred to organic imperfections in cloth and building materials like mold and mildew. So it's a very broad, uh, any kind of skin infection might fall under this concept of leprosy. Um, Hansen's disease, which this man really may have had, is a disease of the nervous system. You maybe have seen pictures um, it starts in the skin and spreads to other parts of the body. Leprosy patients may experience disfigurement of skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, curling of the fingers, facial changes including thickening of the ears, collapsing of the nose, tumor-like growths on the skin, uh, extensive nerve damage, um, a uh, Christian doctor named Paul Brand did extensive studies in the 1980s and wrote a book. And he describes a situation where uh, patients that he had been treating had had their fingers eaten off by rats in their sleep because they couldn't feel what was happening uh, with their fingers. But the point is, this is a terrible disease. Now, in Israel, lepers were considered ceremonially unclean. They could not worship at the temple. They were to live outside of the city in quarantine. They had to keep a distance from others. Listen to what Leviticus 13.45 says. The person with such an infectious disease, which referring to leprosy, must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and when he approached other people, had to cry out, unclean, unclean. In other words, when, he, when a person with leprosy came down the road, you had to warn everybody of your situation. Now, you may not like that approach. That's the way it was. And um, so that this man approached Jesus and he humbly gets down on his knees uh, if you are willing, you can make me clean. tells you a little bit about what he thinks of Jesus, that he would come to Jesus and that he would ask. And he also has this assumption that, I know if you are willing, you can do this. The response is in verses 41 and 42. Jesus was indignant. indignant. Now, it might be a little confusing. It's a little confusing if you're sitting there with an NIV because we have two NIVs in the room and one says Jesus was moved with compassion. The other says Jesus was indignant. So that creates a little bit of a 
technical problem. Whatever happened, Jesus was moved with emotion about the situation. That he was indignant was that he was indignant toward the disease, the awfulness of leprosy. And really, leprosy um, and disease is about the impact of sin from Genesis chapter 3. Because before Genesis chapter 3, the world was perfect. And it's going to be disease that's going to enter after the result of sin. And um, Jesus is indignant, and he's also moved with compassion. He reached out his hand, and he touched the man. Now, that broke all tradition and custom that Jesus would move toward the man and touch him because Jesus would have immediately become ceremonially unclean if it weren't for who he is. Um, So Jesus breaks all the traditions. This man had probably not been touched by a human being for a very long time. And if then only other lepers. Jesus was willing and he said, be clean. And Mark's uh, notes here, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Uh, if you remember, immediately is one of those words that is uh, unique to Mark. Uh, uh, Mark uses the word immediately 43 times. He doesn't translate it every time immediately, but it shows action. Jesus was a doer of deeds, a man of actions, and that's what Peter remembers about Jesus. Peter is the eyewitness. Peter is giving his account of Jesus' life to Mark. Peter was there, and this is how he describes it. Verses 43 through 45, instructions for a man who was healed. First, the instructions, 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, that would seem a little surprising to us. I remember reading this in my early days as a follower of Christ. And I just want to say, Jesus, why would you do this? I mean, it just makes sense. This good thing happens. You heal somebody. It's so exciting. Go tell everybody. Jesus did this. But Jesus says, uh, don't tell this to anyone. And And I didn't understand that for a long time. But he wants the man to show himself to the priests and to offer sacrifices that Moses commanded. Those come in Leviticus 13 and 14 when somebody is declared clean. Anybody who had leprosy had to go to the priest and be examined by the priest. If you weren't, you were kicked out of the nation. You had to be examined by the priest. And uh, the priest had to say, you have leprosy or you don't have leprosy. And when people uh, were healed of various disorders, the, the priest was to track it and then say, okay, you're clean. Now you need to go make sacrifices at the temple. Uh, and then you will be ceremonially clean. Aren't you glad that you don't have to do that anymore? But so Jesus tells him to do this. Keep in mind, and we forget this sometimes when we read the Bible, Jesus is living under the law of the Old Testament. There is no New Testament yet. Jesus hasn't died yet. And so Jesus lived his own life in total fulfillment of the law. And he asked other people to do that too. And that meant that this leper 
must go to the priest first. He must be verified by the priest. And then he should, in obedience to the law, follow through with sacrifices. Look at the response in verse 45. Instead, he went out to begin and talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, we kind of like it that people are coming to him from everywhere, but guess what? This guy didn't follow Jesus' instructions. By the way, if you read the New Testament, Jesus often gave instructions to people that he had just talked to or healed or delivered from a demon, and he often gave them instructions on what to do next. In other words, Here we are now. Go and obey. And so this guy just uh, blows Jesus off. He knew better than Jesus. He did it his own way. And the result was it had an immediate impact on Jesus' work. He couldn't keep doing what he was there to do. Now think about that. A lack of obedience can impact the work of Jesus even on your part or my part. Sometimes God wants to do more, and sometimes we just put an obstacle up and say, we're not going to do it. Not going to go the next step. And so Jesus altered his plans here. He could no longer enter a town openly because of the news. It seemed like good news, right? But it was starting to direct his ministry, at least that was the intention of the people. And Jesus had to withdraw, and he stayed outside in lonely places. He stayed away from the crowds as much as he could, yet people still came to him from everywhere. Uh, Je- Jesus came not just to heal people, but when he healed people, it was extremely excited, and people came from out of the woodwork to meet him. Why did Jesus come? Remember, his purpose was to preach, to proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came. That was his message. By getting him away from the crowds, he had time to spend with his disciples that he'd been training, and he will train them for three years. But he's got to have time away from the crowds. And he also has to get away because he needs time with his father. That was his routine. Yes, he's going to spend time with the multitudes. He he will do it for three years. But it needs to be on his terms, not on their terms. The problem is the danger of creating a following that that focuses on what's in it for me. Jesus did not come to be a celebrity miracle worker. Uh, He did not come to wow people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19. The the problem was people wanted to, to be with Jesus so that they could get something from Jesus. And Jesus' ministry was not driven by what people wanted. Jesus' ministry was driven by the mission of the Father. The Father sent the Son, and the Son came to do the will of the Father. And Jesus is not about to steer off the course. There's something uh, there for us there. 
if you want God to give you the desire of your heart, because a lot of us just dabble right there. Jesus, this is what I want. Jesus, this is what I want you to do for me. Jesus, this is what I need for me. And he cares. But if you want Jesus to give you the desire of your heart, align your life with Jesus's. Because he's about advancing the kingdom of God. And when we align, we can count on Jesus to give us everything we need. And sometimes it includes the desires of our heart. Secondly, the good news brings forgiveness for faith. The good news brings forgiveness for faith. The situation, verses 1 and 2, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. That Jesus gathered in such large numbers, they gathered, excuse me, in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. That's why he came, remember? He preached the word. That's what he, that's what he wanted to do. So, remember the context. He'd been preaching through Galilee, and now he comes home to Capernaum. Really, this is now his headquarters. So, let's see, map here, just to remind us, you know, got to take maps, it's important. And this is how you learn about the Bible, is you see it on a map. So, this is the land of Israel, Mediterranean Sea on the left, that opens up to the Mediterranean world of the first century. Just remember the cities here, down at the bottom, Bethlehem, why is that important? Well, Jesus was born there. Jerusalem, that's where the temple is, that's the most important city on the earth for a Jewish person. Now go up to Nazareth on the left, which would be up north. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. Capernaum is right on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing village. It's the home of Peter and Andrew, who are brothers. They are disciples. James and John, who are brothers. And they are disciples, and they are fishermen. And Jesus will hang out there for about three years during his public ministry when he went home this is where he would go so the event is likely takes place at Peter's house the place is packed with people and he preached the word of God the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news verses 3 through 5 we have the friendship factor and we see faith in action. Verse, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So just picture this for a minute at the house. The house is packed. Jesus is inside. The house is full. People are outside. There's no room to navigate. And some men come because of Jesus's presence and uh, they bring their friend who was a paralyzed man. He couldn't walk and they bring him on a stretcher and four of them carry him. And we don't know what, why he's paralyzed. Could have been because of a serious injury. It's just not stated. Verse four, since they couldn't since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. And they just they say that so fast. 
Think about this. It's your friend. You're carrying your friend on the mat. What are you going to do? You get to the house. You can't get in. What do you do? Well, they had flat roofs on those houses. It wasn't a very big house, probably. And the roofs were made of uh, wood that were had crisscrossing timbers. And then they used sod and branches and leaves and mud and clay. And they kind of baked it all together. And they made the roof. And it was supposed to last for a season through the winter. That was kind of the goal. Most of those houses had a little stairway on the outside. And so these guys are thinking, we're just going to take our friend up the stairs. Now, that sounds like a great idea, but how are you going to do this? And so the house is full of people. Jesus is inside. Whose house is it? Peter's. Can you imagine Peter starting to see first the, some dust and then a clod of dirt fall from his ceiling? And then a lot of noise and rattling around. And pretty soon a big chunk of tile falls down through. And then it opens up. I don't think Peter was probably real excited about that. He doesn't say that, though. But this is Peter's house. And so they lower their friend down with ropes. I don't, where did they get the ropes? I bet they didn't bring ropes because they didn't plan on this. Where did they get ropes? They're probably Peter's outside, some of his fishing Ropes for his nets. So um, they lower their friend through the ceiling. Here's the cool thing. These guys do whatever it takes to bring their friend to Jesus. Whatever it takes. They have obstacles. They invest time and effort. They are creative. They are problem solvers. And they get their friend to Jesus. We see uh, their faith recognized. When Jesus saw their faith, he knew it was in their hearts. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, Jesus was impressed by this. He didn't scold them. He said, guys, why don't you get an appointment? I'm busy. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. How would that made you feel? Think about it. Your sins are forgiven. And you just brought your friend. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. That's not what I had in mind. I, we came here to get this man healed. Doesn't say what they were thinking or what they said. Um, verses 6 and 7, we see the skeptic factor. factor the skeptic factor and this comes from the religious professionals in verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. The teachers of the law were the Jewish scribes. They were the experts in the law of the Old Testament, um, meaning they were experts in the first 39 books of this Bible. They were experts. They were highly trained. They were skilled in interpretation. And uh, they're there to see if this is biblically accurate. They're there to bring to really uh, judge this situation to see if it's valid or not. But they were thinking them to themselves, and you know, thinking to yourself when you're around Jesus is dangerous. The Apostle John says Jesus knew what was in the hearts of man. 
And here comes their questions in verse 7. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is the sin of the Old Testament where somebody claims to be God. And they're not. That's blasphemy. And so right away, they see what's happening. They see that Jesus uh, offered the forgiveness of God to this man. And they're upset. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And remember, they're not asking these questions out loud. They're just thinking them. They have good questions, but their reasoning is faulty. They assume that Jesus cannot forgive sins. They understand correctly that only God can forgive sins. They don't understand who Jesus is. Do you understand who Jesus is? He's way more than a good guy. He's way more than a great teacher. He's way more than a moral influencer. Verses 8 through 12, we have the forgiveness factor. The identity of Jesus in verses 8 through 10. There we go again. Immediately, that's Peter looking at Jesus. And Mark writes it down. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? How would you answer that? If Jesus asked you, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat and walk? Now, I think the religious leaders think it's way easier just to say your sins are forgiven because, you know, you can just say it and who knows? You can say it and get away with it. You can say it and be a charlatan and a false teacher. And that's what's upsetting to them. Now, there's something that we don't understand here. This is a new wrinkle. Jesus has said, Son, your sins are forgiven. People in Jesus' day waiting for Messiah, the promised one, the Holy One of Israel, were not expecting the Messiah to forgive sins. If they knew Isaiah 35, which they should have, they would have expected miracles. They would have expected healing, just like Jesus did. But they weren't expecting forgiveness of sins. And so this is going to be upsetting for the religious leaders. Verse 10, Jesus says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus has authority on earth. And he announces that for his next action. He wants to make a statement about his authority. And he indeed has authority to forgive sins. And the proof of his identity is in verses 11 and 12. He says, I tell you, get up. Now he's talking to the paralytic to the paralyzed man, take your mat and go home. So he speaks directly to the paralyzed man, get up. That would be cruel, wouldn't it? If you don't have the power and authority to do it before a large group of people, that would be cruel. Now, what happens next? He got up, he took his mat and walked into full view of them all. Now, was that easy to do? 
When you think about it, it's pretty amazing. A man who couldn't walk took Jesus at his word. That's what we call faith. And he got up and he walked and he picked up his mat. Now, he could have stayed on the mat and said, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't believe this. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I don't think this is going to work. And he could have just stayed there, paralyzed for life. What did he do? He did what Jesus told him to do. How does that affect you? What if you do what Jesus says he wants you to do? Or what if you don't? What if you just sit there? I know he said this, but I don't know if I'm ready. I'm just going to stay put. It says in verse 12, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This amazed people, and they praised God. It brought glory to God. Now, here's what's easy to miss. The miracle was to authenticate the message and the messenger. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The miracle was to authenticate the message, what Jesus was preaching, the kingdom of God is near, and the messenger, Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is the one who has authority to forgive sin. How do we know this? Well, here's another miracle. The Jews seek for signs. The Greeks seek for wisdom. Jewish people were looking for miracles. Show me. And God did miracles to bring attention to his messengers and to his message. So, verses 40 through 45 in chapter 1, the good news brings compassion for people. Secondly, the good news brings forgiveness for faith. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here's a couple of application questions. Number one, who are the people in your life that need compassion of Jesus? Jesus touched a man with leprosy. Think about this. The man was likely physically unattractive because of the devastation of the disease. He was a social outcast. He was disdained. He was probably rejected by his friends and his family. He was ridiculed. He was misunderstood. Who are the people in your life that need the compassion of Jesus from you? Who are those people? Is there someone at work, someone at school, someone in your family? Maybe they're not popular. They may be difficult to be around. How do you show a person the compassion of Jesus? What act of kindness can you take to show somebody what Jesus is like? Second question. Who are the friends that you need to help bring to Christ? Who are the friends that you need to help bring to Christ? The story, four guys brought their friend to Jesus. It took time, it took effort, it took creativity. They had to overcome some obstacles. They had to be persistent. They worked together as a team. And by the way, not just one person can do it all. That's why Jesus created his church to be a team. Church is a team sport. Evangelism is a team sport. Bringing people to faith. 
is a team ministry. It takes teamwork to bring people to Christ. It takes friends and family to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Who are the friends or who are the family members that you need to help bring to Christ? There's a lot of ways the church works as a team. It's very rare that one person gets to build a relationship and share the gospel and see that person come to faith in Christ. It's usually many uh, situations and touch points and relationships. And the church serves as a team. And uh, I would suggest you start with prayer. Take some baby steps. Build a relationship. Open spiritual conversations and be patient. You don't have to force the gospel with anyone. Invite them to appropriate events where the gospel would be shared. So, who are the friends that you need to help bring to Christ? I love that concept. Help. You don't have to do it all. Just take a part. Take some steps and be involved.